Welcome to the Record of Our Forebears podcast. I am your host, uh, Roland Godet III, and with me today is my wonderful wife, Summer Godet. Hello, hello, hello. And uh, on Record of Our Forebears, we discuss the stories of some of the dopest black folks that you may or may not have heard of. So grab a pen, some paper, and get ready to learn something new. This is episode number three, and today we're going to bring to you Medgar Evers and and Monica. All right. So we're going to talk about Medgar Evers, and one of the things that, so one of my favorite scriptures is uh, Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And 24, knowing that the from the Lord, you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I think that those two verses kind of describe Medgar Evers, his, his short life, his mm-hmm. very short life. He was 37 when he died. Mm-hmm. I'm 38. So at this point, like he's your age. I'm a year older than him. Like he lived a very short life, mm-hmm. but he did a lot. And a lot of and the work that he did was foundationally connected to his faith and mm. how he was raised by his parents. Yes. So uh, Medgar Wiley Evers was born in Decatur, Mississippi on uh, July 2nd, 1925 to James and Jesse Evers. Um, his family, his parents, they were really strong proponents of education. They made sure their ch- children attended school for the full term like they weren't going to allow them to miss school, to help uh, around the house. They were like, we got work. We'll make sure you guys have everything you need. Y'all go to school. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, though, because segregation was in full bloom in Mississippi, Mm -hmm. obviously, in Mm -hmm. 1925 and forward, Mm -hmm. when they were children, um, they had to walk 12 miles to get to the segregated school, even though there was an all-white school in their town, but segregation prevented them from attending that. Wow. So, you know, like, grandparents tell the story, like, oh, we had to walk 12 miles oh, to school. Oh, yeah, I had like, to walk 12 miles. Yeah, Megger Evers and Charles Evers were walking 12 miles to school wow. every day. Mm. But they also grew up in a household where their parents prayed daily and they attended church regularly. And the convictions that Megger Evers developed from his relationship with God that was like the foundation of why he believed in equality for everyone. Mm, okay. So in 1943, uh, Megger Evers joined the Army, uh, the United States Army, served uh, in the European theater of World War II. He actually was on the ground on around D-Day. So oh, wow. like Yeah, so he was like he was in the mix okay. in World War II. Okay. And he was a part of he was a part of the Red Ball Express. You ever heard of them? No, I haven't. So I had never heard of them either until I started doing <laughs> some research for this podcast. And so the Red Ball Express was, it was a truck convoy that brought supplies to the Allied troops um, in the wake of D-Day. So after they took the beaches in Normandy and they started quickly moving through Europe, they needed supplies on the front lines. And so it was it was these this convoy that would quickly move through the French countryside, through the roads, 
and get the supplies right to the front, right to General Patton's army, like right to the front. Mm-hmm. And this, it was staffed with primarily black soldiers. 75% of the drivers were black. Mm. And it said at its peak, the Red Ball Express operated just under 6,000 vehicles and carried about 12 tons of supplies a day. Wow. And so that operated from June when D-Day happened to November when they finally got a base set up uh, at, one, at one of the cities in France mm. um, where they didn't need to run the supplies to the front. Like they ended up getting a base set up in the city and they were able to stop the, you know, like this heavy convoy that was, mm-hmm. you know, moving 12 tons of stuff a day. So mm-hmm. he was a part of that. He actually did see some combat, too, in some uh, French cities that I may I'm not, not going to try to pronounce because, you know, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to disrespect <laughs> anybody from France or from Belgium. But French, um, our French speaking. Right. <laughs> but he um, sisters. he received two combat stars and a good conduct medal. Mm. He was given an honorable discharge mm-hmm. once the war ended and he ended up going back to Mississippi. OK. Um, so in 1946, Medgar Evers and Charles Evers, his brother, were able to successfully register to vote. Oh, wow. Right. In 1946, wow. in Mississippi. However, when on election day, oh. a white mob formed at the courthouse and they weren't able to cast their ballots. So while they did uh, get uh, their registration good, they were not able to actually vote. Like they, a mob showed up and just were like, no, nah, y'all not going to vote. It wasn't just them. It was just, you know, other black people in the in the area, in too. The, like, yeah. But they didn't want any of them to vote. So they just kind of, you know, were sent back home. Yeah. It's just like one of those. This is just making me think about like you went and you fought terror overseas for the greater good of the entire country. Yep. And then you come back and you have more terrors like yep. right here in, in your own home. Yep. And like. It's like the fight never continues, right? Yeah. The fight is still going well, for him. He was one of those, like, so one of the reasons that they, um, that they give, that they give, uh, that they give credit to the civil rights movement starting when it did mm-hmm. was a lot of the people in the civil rights movement, like even guys like Ralph Abernathy, you know, mm-hmm. he worked really close with Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. They were veterans. Mm, and so okay, they were part okay. of what was called the Double V campaign. Okay, the Double yes. V campaign was victory abroad against mm-hmm. the Nazis and, and victory, victory at home, home. Mm-hmm. against the racial hatred that was going on in the United States. And it was mm-hmm. something that black soldiers was kind of like a rallying cry. Mm-hmm. I think it was started by a black newspaper in Pittsburgh, the Double V campaign. But it was kind of a rallying cry for black veterans and black um, military uh, men across the nation. Okay, so. Um, in 1948, uh, Megar Evers enrolled at Alcorn Agricultural and Mechanical College, which is now Alcorn State. You know, mm-hmm. that's a, um, mm-hmm. a historical black college now. Mm-hmm. And he competed on the debate team. He played football. He was on the track team. He sang in a choir. And he also met his wife, Merle, mm-hmm. there. She was a student there also. Uh, they married in 1951. Uh, I think they met in 1950. They married just uh, about a year later, Christmas Eve, 1951. And they ended up having three children together, uh, Daryl, Raina, and James Evers. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up graduating in 1952 uh, with a, a degree in business administration. And they moved to a city in Mississippi called Mound Bayou. Okay. So this, the special, the Mound Bayou is a kind of a special town. 
Mount Bayou was started by a man who was a formerly a formerly enslaved man in 1887. Okay. It was an all black town in Mississippi. Wow. Everything about the town was black. All the churches were black. All the businesses were black. And they were able to just keep the money in the town and they were able to thrive in Mississippi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like the, the way, the, thinking about it, the way I would describe it, it was like, would be like an island of freedom for mm-hmm. black people in the middle of an ocean of hate. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And that's how the town was. Mm. And he ended up working for an insurance company for uh, for the town, a black owned insurance company that showed sold insurance, that sold insurance, excuse me, to you know, black people in Mississippi, uh, mostly in Mount Bayou, but through other places in Mississippi. Okay. Um, but he was doing civil rights stuff even there regionally in his area. And he was a president of a group called the Regional Council of Negro Leadership. And they were just in the Mount Bayou area. And he helped organize some boycotts against some gas stations around the, around the town um, that were white owned, but it prevented black people from using their restrooms. Oh, wow. And so he organized some boycotts. Like, we're not going to give you our business, you know, if you're not going to let us you know, use the facilities, mm-hmm. you know, like citizens of the state. Um, in 1954, the Supreme Court ruled that segregated public schools was unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. You know, that Brown versus Board of Education. Yes. Once that happened, Megger Evers decided he wanted to apply to law school at the University of Mississippi. Um, he was denied because he was black. But the NAACP, which stands for the National Advancement the, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, took notice of Evers and saw his work that he was doing in his area, and they kind of were, they were intrigued by him, and they eventually gave him a job um, as the field secretary of Mississippi, the first field secretary of Mississippi. Mm. Mississippi was the state that the NAACP, out of all the success that they had, they never could get a stronghold in Mississippi. Mm, okay. they, the Mississippi was so resistant to, to any type of freedom for, for black people. Mm. But Megger Evers became the first field secretary. So the field secretary um, was a job that he had, uh, he organized boycotts. Um, he would set up like new chapters throughout the state, make sure that uh, members of the NAACP, um, making sure that they would continue to, uh, to be members, mm-hmm. you know, to encourage them, you know, cause they were getting, threatened and and beaten and all kinds of stuff and he would be the one to kind of be the face of the national NAACP to the local chapters um, another thing that he did was also he investigated instances of police brutality uh, murder you know like murders that were happening mm-hmm. uh, in Mississippi um, that were kind of suspect uh, voter discrimination uh, economic intimidation um Lynchings. He would investigate those things, and he and one of the lynchings that he investigated was the lynching of Emmett Till in 1950 or 1955. Mm. So Emmett Till was a 14 year old boy who was uh, lynched in a city called Money, Mississippi, a small town, like 300 people. And we just saw the movie about it, and they had Megger Evers play a small role in that. But he helped to investigate and actually gather some witnesses that were afraid to come forward because of the repercussions. You know, being in Mississippi and, you know, testifying against a, a white man, against uh, two white men in court. But he was able to convince at least one man to come forward and testify. Um, so because of his activism, though, he was under constant threat of 
violence. Mm-hmm. Like he was getting threats. People were threatening him to his face. He was getting letters at his home. And he was just under a constant threat of violence to the point where he would teach his children um, the difference between the sound of a car backfiring and guns. And he would basically, he, they would do drills in the house. He would say, okay, now you hear a gunshot, what do you do? And they would say, all right, daddy, we get on the floor and we crawl to the bathroom and we get in the tub. And we stay there until, you know, you or mom come to get us. And he taught his kids this mm-hmm. because of the threat of violence. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine having to do that with my own children, like, man, and just the complexity of it all. Like, would they listen to me? Would they sit still long enough to not ask questions and to just like, if we ever had to do this, would they listen and would they go and, you know, try and save themselves? Would they they remember it? Would they remember it? Because it's one thing to do a drill. It's another Mm -hmm. thing when bullets are, you know, for lack of a better term, bullets are flying. Yes, like, and you're you expecting to... children to be able to to recall and, and understand the severity of of what's going on and what you're asking them to do, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Well, you know, mm-hmm. I was in the Marine Corps. It's hard for grown men mm-hmm. when bullets are flying to remember training. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't imagine, like, expecting your children. Yes, to be able to wow. do it. Wow. So, yeah, unfortunately, um, his children would like they, they will be tested mm-hmm. to see if they did remember this because uh, just after midnight on the 12th of June in 1963, Megger Evers uh, was arriving home from a strategy meeting um, at a local Baptist church. Mm-hmm. And when he got out of his car in his driveway, he was shot in the back with a high power rifle. His children were in the house mm-hmm. with his wife. They heard the shot. They went to the bathroom. They got in the tub. Um, his wife ran to the door and Megger had crawled to the door by then. But while they were there, the children were children Mm -hmm. and they came out and they actually saw their father Mm -hmm. and they were cradling him. Oh my gosh. So Mm. um, neighbors came out and they were able to get him into the car to take him to a local hospital, uh, university medical center. Okay. He was denied entry because he was black. Wow. Until they explained who he was. Like, though, this wow. is Megger Evers. Like, mm-hmm. and they let him in, but he ended up dying about a little less than an hour after being there. The wow. bullet had went through his heart. Like, it was, they weren't going to be able to see Yeah, him. they weren't. But this is, this is our veteran. This is a D-Day veteran. Yeah, so, so, uh, imagine, uh, uh, so, so he survives D-Day. To he come survives home, the Nazis. To, co- to come home <laughs> and be assassinated, be, be martyred, murdered. Yeah. And, and because and, of his fight for equality for Americans. And the thing and the thing that makes it worse is the man who killed him was also a veteran. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, the man who killed him was a Marine named Byron De La Beckwith. Mm, OK. Um, so you, you survive uh, enemies in Europe mm-hmm. during the worst war in the history of mankind. You make it home. To be killed by another veteran who was in the military at the same time mm-hmm. and actually fought in the Pacific theater of the same war that you fought in Europe. He was mm-hmm. fighting in the Pacific. And that's who that's the one that kills you. Yeah. So um, after he was killed, uh, there was a march where about 5000 people marched to the funeral home wow. where he was. And the people who marched with him, Martin Luther King was one of the people who led the march. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. 
Of course, the Mississippi police showed up to the march, the nonviolent march, by the way, mm-hmm. with riot gear and rifles and stuff and, you know, trying to intimidate the people. But they weren't intimidated. They yes. just they went on their way, mm-hmm. um, stayed nonviolent, didn't sink down to the level of, you know, being violent mm-hmm. with, you know, the Mississippi police. Um, so they had a funeral for him on June 15th, um, three days after he was killed in Jackson, Mississippi. And four days later, he was buried in, with full military honors in Arlington Cemetery. Okay. Okay. Um, so a few days after he was killed, on June 21st, 1963, the police arrested Byron Dela Beckwith. Okay. They found that he was uh, part of like a white citizens council, which was like a racist group of people. Like essentially they would uh, use like economic threats mostly to... Mm try to prevent black people from voting or participating in the uh, in politics in their area. He was also a member of the KKK, which mm-hmm. didn't use economic threats. They used physical violence, obviously. Okay. Okay. So kind of two sides of the same coin, two sides of the same racist coin. You mm-hmm. got like the economic threats, like they felt like, well, we're too good. We're not going to do anything violent because mm-hmm. you know, we're too good for that. But, but then still, the KKK was the, yeah. the violent side of that yeah. same coin. Yeah, Still two domestic terrorist groups. Right. He was a member of those organizations. Yeah. So he was a member of both of those. Mm. Um, and like mm. I said, he was a former U.S. Marine. He was charged with the murder because there was just, I mean, it was his rifle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was clear that he did it. Um, but he had two trials in 1964 that ended in hung juries. All the juries were white men and they, could, they wouldn't convict them. Wow. He was not convicted until 1994. Wow. How did, what? <laughs> How did that happen? What kind of case? So What happened there? So in the 90s, um, he had, so Brian, Byron Dale Beckwith, uh, like you would assume that, okay, he didn't get convicted, convicted in 1964. He would lay low. And, yes. But he wasn't. He was a criminal. He had so a he history. was in jail for a lot yeah, of that, a lot of those years. So it wasn't like he was free for 30 years. Yes. He was in jail for a lot of those years. Okay. While in jail, he bragged to inmates that he was the one who killed Megar Evers and got mm. away with it. Okay. Um, mm. The prosecutor, because, you know, a lot of times if you, if there's hung juries or, and things like that, you can't bring another trial unless you have new Evidence. New evidence. So the new okay. evidence was these uh, were these um, confessions, these jailhouse confessions he was making to all these other people he okay. was in jail with, all right. his cellmates. And so a new prosecutor came and he was able to get a conviction. This time the jury was eight black men and four, I think, two white women and two white men. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. So more so of a jury of your peers. Like, well, right? jury. Yeah. Well, so you. In the in the fifth or in the sixties, when the trial was going on, yeah. black people couldn't vote. No. And if you don't vote, if you're not registered to vote, you can't be on the jury. You're not called for jury, duty. right? So okay. by the nineties, though, a lot of those, uh, a lot of more black people were able to register. Mm-hmm. A lot of that uh, intimidation at the polls was gone, mm-hmm. and so because of that, the jury was able to be uh, a more equal jury was able to be selected. He okay. ended up getting convicted on wow. uh, February 1994, life in prison. Um, but he ended up dying in prison in 2001. Um, of the illness. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Megar Evers is, whew, Megar Evers is one of my heroes. Like, mm-hmm. especially like, you know, well, we're recording this now, it's a couple of days before Veterans Day, and Megar Evers is definitely a veteran that should be honored, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. in the United States. We love to honor our veterans, and I'm with that, because mm-hmm. obviously me being a veteran, I, mm-hmm. you know, 
but a, a lot of times we we focus on uh, like these generals, and you know we focus on guys like uh, you know Dwight Eisenhower, who oh, was yes. a president and a general, and he deserves to be honored, obviously. But we forget about like there were people who didn't just fight Nazis, yes, but or they abroad, fought, yeah. or didn't just fight abroad, but yeah. they fought the same battles for freedom here in our country, and I feel like those people should be honored too. So mm-hmm. definitely, yeah, wow. Yeah, so I, but I learned a lot. Like the Red Ball Express, that's crazy. I didn't, I knew nothing about that. No, I, I didn't even. I never. I I don't know why it doesn't ring a bell. I guess I wasn't taught it. And yeah, no, no. I mean, I, don't know it. I was in the military. We learned military history in the military, and we weren't taught that. So mm, wow, <laughs> unbelievable. Well, definitely, definitely a great, um, well, person to. I, I would say even maybe read more about. And I'm hoping that everyone is. Not just taking our word for it, for, you know, these stories and this information, you know, just this record that we're sharing, but to go and to dig deeper and to learn more um, about these individuals. Um, Absolutely. I, wow. Just amazing. Well, I I'm on this roll with uh, sharing about um early early Christians, like early African mm-hmm. and black Christians and um since I like this train, I'm going to carry on. And I wanted to share, I want to share about um, someone who I learned about um, through someone else. And I'll share his name. But this person um, is known by many as St. Monica. Um, and so Monica, um, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll take a step back and I'll say this. Many Christians um, may be familiar with her son. Okay. Her son is known as... Um, Augustine or Augustine, St. Augustine, um, what do they call him, the Hippo? Have you heard of that? St. Augustine of Hippo. Of Hippo, right? I think Hippo was the city that he was. uh, Yes, where he 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 taught. The city where he was from, yep. Yes, and so St. Augustine is a renowned church father and um, defender of um, the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. um, But many people are not familiar with his mother. So I was like, you know what, I want to give this record and um, because... He writes, he's written over, he wrote over 13 books. Mm-hmm. He had so many things. He was um, a brilliant mind of his time. And of course, um, what we would call a church father. But in his writings, you learn about how he came to uh, that conversion of Christianity. And he says it was through his mother. Yeah. And so he wrote about her. And I, I'm i hoping that um, if Monica is new to anyone else, um, that... Uh, they would listen to what I want to share. So Monica was born in 13, no, 331, a very <laughs> long time ago. Um, I'm talking about an ancient person literally here, uh, born in modern day Algeria. Okay. And um, she was raised a Christian um, in a noble family. So again, I talked about before how we had these nobles who were had wealth and power, uh, but they decided to convert to Christianity. Mm-hmm. So um, her family was one of those families. However, when we think about women, even in today and modern times, um, while women are afforded many rights, even then she was given away in marriage wow. and was given away to um, a pagan, a pagan Roman official. And so um, her husband 
again, what you said, like what you said before, rolling with French, I don't want to mess his name up, but um, he had a, a reputation um, for being abusive, oh, um, wow. for infidelity, and um, she still, through her marriage, throughout her marriage, still um, held fast to like her Christian beliefs, mm-hmm. and uh, many knew her for that, for her um her strong foundation in Christianity or generosity, how she treated um, the people around her. And like I said, I learned a lot about her from um, um, St. Augustine's writings and um, uh, specifically um, the confession of mm-hmm. St. Augustine, which um, we have at home. And so I was able to take a take a, a deeper look at, at her and um, through her son. And what I didn't realize was that, like I said, when he, when I read through it, his writings were actually inspired by her um, sickness and death. Mm. So then that's why he was like, you know, I got to get this all out wow. on paper. And she died around 387. Um and so uh, he decided, let me let me write this down. But um, really, he wrote about how um, she prayed, she prayed like consistently mm-hmm. um, for the conversion of not only um, Augustine, but for her husband. Mm-hmm. So she she remained uh, married with him. Um, she chose to stay married to him and she chose to, you know, essentially um continue to pray for them, continue to live a Christian life. And it got me to thinking about um, how, you know, we're instructed in the Bible to continue to pray and to pray without, you know, ceasing and to pray for unbelievers and um, how there's even scripture that talks about um, even like prayer and marriage when a spouse, you know, um, may not be converted. And so, this early Christian to me, I'm looking at her just showing that that work, that belief, her belief in that and acting that out. And then having these writings explain how she wholeheartedly believed that um, and how she you know, knew her husband wasn't saved, right. but she raised her children in the faith. And I really thought that that was just, wow, like a really great um Early on example, right? right? For me of how oftentimes as Christians will say, you know, I had a praying grandmother. Yep. I had yep. a praying mother. I was just going to say You that. know, like I had someone who prayed for me, even though time after time I chose my way yep. and not, you know, the right way. Um, and so even with Augustine, he talked about how he had a child out of wedlock, how he tried to leave her. And I, like he moved from this place to that place. And it's funny how we will try and leave God and run from our our fate and our destiny but he will continuously pursue us and use use believers to pursue us and so I just thought that her her story um was just very very important and he didn't get baptized um and profess his belief in Christianity until he was an older um I think he was in his 30s too so just to kind of see but you know he just talked about like if it weren't for her like he wouldn't be here and how you know she was known for her works for her charity for her discipline um and And that's um, really that's really important very important right well you see your parents like praying you see that over time like it has an effect on you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it's like even if you don't believe like I remember being a young person and not being a Christian but seeing my dad praying Mm. like it had an effect on me so then when I became a Christian I was like okay like I I have an example of like 
a, a man praying, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. praying for me. Yeah. Like so, yeah. That's that's so important. It's it's definitely there, and those are the things that you don't realize that you um, that you have locked in the back, like in your memory bank. Yeah. And, and through her persistence, through her walk, like her husband converted, um, and he died like maybe a few years after, but his mother converted. Wow. Um, and so these were things that, you know, Augustine writes about. Like, I can see how her con- her continuous prayer and her continuous walk, um, how we saw that. Now, I, mm-hmm. I read somewhere else. It wasn't in um, in his book, and it may have been because I didn't read the whole thing, that she also struggled with um, with like wine. I think he may have mm-hmm. talked about it, like okay. with drinking. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, you know, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine like trying to maintain this marriage and then I have she they, she had they had more than one kid they right. had another daughter another son but trying to maintain my family and what looks like would be kind of hopelessness like how can I right. how can I ever see you know my family um come into this knowledge that I have mm-hmm. but you know her story I feel like was just still you know being human and being fallible just one of encouragement yeah um, for anyone who has like unbelieving family members or unbelieving mm. friends, um, just encouragement in the promises that God makes yep. for believers yep. to continue on in that prayer. Keep praying. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is so it's crazy to think about because one of the things we think about uh, Augustine is like his legacy. Like we, we talk about Martin Luther, you mm-hmm. know, we just had Reformation Day uh, around the time we're recording. This is just after Halloween, Halloween. Mm-hmm. October 31st was also Reformation. Information Day. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we talk about Martin Luther. Martin Luther was influenced by Augustine. Mm-hmm. He was reading so much of his stuff that he was like, yo, this this guy is saying the right things. Mm-hmm. But it's not really Augustine's legacy that Martin Luther's a part of. It's Monica's it's legacy. It's Monica's legacy. There you go. Like it's <laughs> her legacy. Go. Like it's my grandmother said, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's her <laughs> legacy. That's why I chose to talk about Monica first. I I hope we will be able to talk about Augustine um, sooner rather than later. But yes, this yeah, is the the legacy. Yes, of this, of um of another woman here. We're talking mm-hmm. about of um of um of a woman in Christ. And so I thought yeah. that this was just like, let's before, before we get to Augustine, let's talk about Monica. Yeah. And um, we got to lay the foundation. Yes, of course, <laughs> we, of course. And we're talking about our forebears and we're talking yep. and we're thinking about, you know, I think we, it's important for us to talk about the most, um, the, the most ancient of mm-hmm. our forebears, right? Like, yep. because many of us don't know. And this is a history that we all can celebrate, especially if we're looking at um, the bigger picture. Now we're looking at a tiny piece, but then when we pull out from the picture and we see the frame and we recognize that everyone who's in the body can take part and celebrate in this um, in this mother, you know, from the church. Um, and she, she too, just like... Um, Perpetual and Felicity, they have mm-hmm. days that they're recognized in Lutheran church and that religion. And um, like in these different churches, like you said, Martin Luther, who really held um, fast to um, Augustine until, you know, his breaking down of the theology and what we hold fast and um, for Western Western Christians and things like that. But, yeah, I just wanted to share Monica. So look up more on her as well. Well, that. That's awesome, and I appreciate you sharing that because yeah. uh, a lot of that stuff I didn't know. And you know, I I've read through um, a lot of uh, the Confessions of Augustine, 
Um, but just the wow, that that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. a lot of incredible information there, and you know, we will hope that um, you guys would, you know, read up on these people. We're gonna. Um, Put in the description of the podcast, the uh, you know our uh, where we're getting our notes from, um, you know a lot of the materials and things like that. So please join us as we learn, learn with us, and <laughs> definitely we hope that you join us next time. We're gonna go ahead and end this right here. Of course, well, we hope that you join us next time on the Record of Our Forebears podcast. We're rolling this summer. Have a good day. Talk to you soon.